So Paul's labor for the church. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. Good morning. Shall we pray as we come to God's word? Father, we thank you that you are not silent. We thank you that you have words for us. And we pray that as we spend this time in, in the letter to the Colossians, that we would hear it for what it is as your word to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. A big view of Jesus. I hope that's the, certainly the impression that you got from the first half of our service, singing things like, you are the glorious Christ, the greatest of all delights. Your power is un unequaled, or no one is higher than the Messiah. I love that rhyme. <laughs> we regularly sing songs like this, songs with, with titles like, all I have is Christ, or like, Christ is enough. But that may not actually always match how we feel in our everyday lived experience of following Jesus. We might often have the thought enter our minds or our hearts that actually Jesus might not be enough, that something more is needed, that the reality that we live in doesn't always seem to match up to this glorious Christ that we sing about on Sundays. In the last couple of weeks in Colossians, we've been seeing Paul lay out for us this ultimate big view of Jesus. And Stuart read some of those verses for us at the start of this. This Lord Jesus Christ who stands astride all of creation in absolute supremacy, in victory over sin and death. The Lord over every square inch of the universe. It doesn't actually always feel, feel like that. 
doesn't always feel like Jesus is Lord. In some situations, we struggle to see that. And even if we, we take our feelings out of the equation and we go for a, a more kind of scientific method of observation and we just look, some of the things that we see do not seem to be things that a Jesus who is Lord would allow to happen. It doesn't always look like a world in which Christ is over all. So there's this tension that we have between this high view of Jesus in control of everything that goes on in the world and then our actual experience of living in the world, of it seeming out of control, of, of crime, of earthquakes, of sickness, of just general nastiness. And so is Jesus Lord or not? And that tension is really where this passage and really the rest of the letter to the Colossians kind of camps out. That tension between Jesus as Lord of everything and our experience of everything. And so he starts in verse 24 with saying something very strange given what he's just said. That there is something still lacking in Christ's afflictions. Just think about that for a moment. Just let that sink home, what he's just said there. Christ's afflictions, Christ's suffering, his death on the cross is not enough. Something is lacking. And Paul has to make it up in his own flesh with his own suffering. So right after, in verse 18, talking about Jesus' supremacy in everything... And in verse 20, talking about Jesus' blood shed on the cross, making peace, reconciling all things. Right after all this, Christ is enough. Now, he's saying that there is some lack. There's, there's something missing from Jesus' suffering. He was so confident before. Has he just, is he wavering? Is he, is he doubting? And that's the tension that this passage is engaging with. That gap is where he operates. That gap between Jesus as Lord of everything and our experience of everything. And that gap is also where he carries out his mission. His mission as a servant of Christ. And he is on a mission. In verse 25, he claims there is a commission that God gave him. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at this mission. We'll start with the necessity of the mission. Why, is, why does this mission need to happen? And then we will look at the nature of this mission. What does it actually involve? So let's start with the necessity of the mission. Why is Paul's work needed? Verse 24. Now, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. So what is lacking? Because there is no problem with Jesus' death itself. There was no lack of effectiveness there in what Jesus did on the cross. The, the lack is in the gap between Christ overall and Christ known to all. People can't benefit from the peace that Jesus has achieved on the cross until they know about it and trust in him. So imagine 
you're at work and you're, you're on the panel interviewing for new candidates for a new colleague. And you, you, you open it up for applications and you get this application come in from this woman and she's just absolutely amazing. All her qualifications just absolutely match what you're looking for. She'd be such an asset to the team. She has so much experience in the field that you're working in. She has excellent references and she's applied for the job and her covering letter was just filled with enthusiasm that she really wants this. She really wants to do it. She would be the ideal person for the role. You interview her. She gets on well with everybody. She'd fit in great in the team. But you get none of the benefits of having her on the team until you actually offer her the job. It doesn't matter how good she is, how effective she is in and of herself, until you actually bring her into the team, she's no good to you. And that's the lack. That's the lack that Paul is talking about. Jesus is supreme. Jesus does make peace. His death is enough to reconcile everyone to God. But each one of us gets none of the benefits of that unless he becomes known to us personally. That's why Paul's mission is necessary, because Christ is unknown to all. If you remember last week, he, he ended that, that, that big picture of Christ by easing into this theme in verse 23, and he was starting to speak of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus as Lord, being held out, being proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And that's where he sees himself fitting into this, as part of that, as part of that proclamation, as, as a servant who is holding out Christ. And that's where we ended last week as we were, we were, we're lodgers in, in Jesus' universe, and we need to know about it. We need to know about him. We need to know the terms of our residency. We need to understand where it is we are to go if we have problems. And so if last week was about establishing that Christ is overall, now Paul is moving on to making Christ known to all. And it's, it's Paul living between these two realities and operating in the gap between these two things that explains why he, he also says he rejoices in what he's suffering. He's working in a world in which Christ is overall, but is not known to all. And so because Jesus as Lord is not known to all, he expects suffering. He expects opposition. He expects that people are going to reject the message of Jesus, who, who are going to resist those who carry it. But he's able to rejoice because he knows actually Jesus is over all. He, he takes joy in his work because he knows that his suffering is not meaningless. He knows that he is working with the one who is supreme over all things, the one who wins in the end. He knows his work will not be in vain, and so he rejoices in what he's suffering. That's the necessity of the mission. That's why Paul needs to go. What about the nature of it? What, what has Jesus actually sent Paul to do? Verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you 
the Word of God in all its fullness, in its fullness. His mission is to proclaim God's Word. And what is the, the content of God's Word? He, he, talks, he goes on about this mystery. This, this mystery is what he's supposed to be proclaiming. And then if you just skip ahead a moment to chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. That's, that's what he is all about. It's proclaiming Jesus. It's not proclaiming a system or even a, a way to be forgiven for our sins that comes into it. That's an important, essential part of it. But ultimately, the message is Jesus. It is about knowing Jesus. And he has this work because it is God's work. He starts his mission with God's mission. God has been working on something, and then he invites Paul to join in with that. In verse 26, God's work is this, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and for generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Mystery is one of those words the Bible uses slightly differently to how we use it. We use the word to describe things we don't understand, things we don't know, the the unsolved cases. For us, mystery is, is a word of something that is kind of clouded or obscured, but the New Testament especially uses it quite differently because when it speaks of mystery... It's speaking of a kind of brighter, sunnier idea of things that used to be unknown, but are now known. They used to be hidden, but they are now revealed. So the mysteries that there are referring to the solved cases, the things that used to be hidden. I'm not sure how well this illustration is going to work, because it's a bit of a dated reference, but does anyone watch Scooby-Doo at all? (laughs) They have... This group of people and a dog, maybe two, two dogs, Scrappy. I don't, I don't know how he was a, a later addition, controversial. But <laughs> they went round, they went round solving mysteries. They had a converted caravan called a mystery machine, and they used to go and solve mysteries. And there was always some kind of monster. And then at the end, they they like ripped the head off the monster, and it was the lighthouse keeper in a suit, and he was really had some grievance. I don't know. It was always the lighthouse keeper. But that's, that's mystery in the New Testament, is the kind of the mask being ripped off, and we find out what's going on, what's, what's really happening. Uh, it's a lot more positive, obviously, in the New Testament, that we find out there is this glorious Christ who is Lord of all. And God's work is parting the clouds, it is revealing the sunshine, the sun that was always there behind them. To them, God's chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There are seven words to hold on to. So much is captured in seven short words. Christ, God himself, God's anointed Savior, the Son, the Lord over all, in you, with you, so close to you, 
that he can actually describe his relationship to you as in you. Right there in your heart where all the action is happening in your life. There he is. Dwelling in our midst, in all his holiness, in all his purity to transform us. And with the hope of glory, with the hope of something even better than Christ in you, a future far beyond anything we could expect or imagine. This is what God is all about. This is his work. This is his mission to make Christ known as much as possible. Both in in terms of the knowledge of, of extending from unknown to known, but also geographically from, from one location to all locations. It's what started in Israel is now to be known among the Gentiles, among the nations, as we've been thinking about this morning. There is this movement from from God for from hidden to revealed, from Christ unknown to Christ known, from one nation to all nations. And if that is God's work, if that's what God is all about on this earth, then our work is to join in with God's work. And so Paul says, he, in verse 28, Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul gets swept up into this mission of God to bring people to be in Christ and Christ in them. And while he doesn't say it out loud here, I think he expects that all Christians are swept up in this too, if we follow Jesus. As we were reading earlier at the end of Matthew's Gospel, there's this similar statement of Christ overall, and then a move from that to a command that Christ be known to all. So Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, very Colossians 1. And then he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call this the Great Commission. He has all the authority, and he sends us to all the nations. It is great in its scope. And all Christians are called to be part of this because he says, teach them to obey everything that he commands. And that includes this command. So he is the one we proclaim. That is, that is the nature of our work. Now, proclaim is a bit of an old-fashioned word. I like to think of it as proclaiming something is a step beyond simply claiming it. You're not simply saying that these things are true about Jesus. You're not simply talking about Jesus. There is a boldness to proclaiming. There is an enthusiasm to it. Imagine sports commentators. Just think in your head, I think it would be one of the hardest jobs to do is comment on horse racing. They, they just have such a, a high level of enthusiasm, and they speak with such speed. It's like... And they're so... They're so getting into it, they're so excited by it. 
or the, comment, the football commentators who like cheer when there's a goal, and they're like, oh, when there's a miss, they really get into it. That's proclaiming. They're not simply narrating the game. They're, they're cheering the goals. They're mourning the losses. Do you proclaim Jesus? Do you proclaim Jesus, or do you just claim things about him? We're only going to proclaim Jesus if we realize for ourselves what there is in Jesus to be enthusiastic about, to be excited about. Without that, we'll only ever be claiming and in a kind of hollow way. It comes back to knowing Jesus. The more we know Jesus, the more we know what there is to be excited about Jesus, then the more we will want to proclaim him. And if we have that, then like Paul, we will present the word of God, we will proclaim the word of God in all its fullness. Not just the teaching part, but the admonishing part. Perhaps that's an aspect of proclaiming that you would shy away from. You'd be tempted to perhaps edit out bits of the message. Actually, it's a kind of sitting in judgment over the word. It's not proclaiming the fullness of the word of God. It is sitting in judgment over the word of God and saying, well, actually, if I were God, I wouldn't have said that. And I think people are more likely to accept Jesus if we cut out that bit. And I sort of take out all the bits that people don't like and then proclaim that. That I can proclaim. God didn't edit out the difficult challenges from his word. He knew exactly what he was saying, and he gave us exactly the words that we need to hear to know Christ. All of them. We do him a disservice and a dishonor when we cut out those words. Proclaim the word in all its fullness so that they can enjoy Christ in all his fullness. That's our work. But this proclaiming isn't simply just God's done something and then we're down on earth saying, oh, he's done that, that'll be a good idea, let's copy that. There is a closer connection than that. This is God's work in our work. And just as as Jesus sent Paul on this mission, so he empowers him in this mission. In verse 29, he says, To this end, I strenuously contend. He's working hard. With all the energy, Christ so powerfully works in me. He's working hard. Christ is working hard in him. He's working hard with Jesus' strength. That's what Jesus promised when he gave the disciples the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations, and surely I am with you always. I am with you always to the very end of the age. The energy of the mission is Jesus' presence, Christ in us by the Holy Spirit. And that's why even when Paul himself isn't there, The mission can extend beyond him. He's writing a letter to a church that he's presently away from. 
And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who've not met me personally. He has this awareness that his mission is able to be effective beyond him physically being there in the room. Because Jesus is still Lord in the places that we can't go to. Presence is important. God uses our personal presence as part of the communication of the gospel. That is the norm. That is the ideal. But God is also able to go beyond it in times of need. And this letter proves it because we, we are those who have not met Paul personally. And yet he was striving for us. His work of proclaiming Jesus is benefiting us right now as we read this. He's making Christ known to us. Because he's confident that that Jesus is Lord, even where he can't get to, he says in verse 5, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This shouldn't surprise us because Jesus really is Lord over all. By proclaiming to people who haven't heard about Jesus yet, Paul isn't extending the kingdom of Jesus. He's not bringing Jesus into places where he's never been before. He's not extending the reach of Jesus' kingdom. He's extending the knowledge of Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is already king over everything. And so it delights, but it doesn't surprise Paul that Jesus goes before him and beyond him. It is good to be present. That is obviously Paul's ideal. That is obviously his longing to encourage hearts, to help people be united in love by actually being there. But when we can't be there, remember that Jesus is Lord and don't underestimate what we can do from afar. Don't underestimate what your prayers can do, what your, your letters or your, your phone calls or your encouraging emails or texts can do, what your, your care packages that we send to missionaries can do. I know there's a bunch of people in church who have a ministry just sending lovely, encouraging cards to people. What a wonderful thing, especially when we can't get to be with people. Jesus is Lord over even the places we can't reach. So far, I've been taking this outwards, of seeing God's work and our work as this mission to make Jesus known to people who don't know him yet. But Paul isn't just looking outside the church. In fact, in, in verse 24, he says his suffering is for the church. I don't think that just means for adding people to the church. I think as well as him being about making Christ known, his work is also about making Christ known more. Because in in verse 28, his goal is to present everyone fully mature in Christ. And that suggests to me that they are not yet there, that there are also degrees of maturity in Christ. 
in chapter 2, verse 2, he wants them to have the full riches of complete understanding. And that suggests that at the moment they're in a, a state where they have the partial riches of incomplete understanding. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, he warns them about the potential of being deceived with fine-sounding arguments. Their knowledge is not complete. And in the gaps in their knowledge, there's danger of filling it with things that can go against Christ. Do you know Jesus? Don't think of that just as a a binary question, as a yes-no question. There is an element of yes or no to it. There is an in and an out about this, a yes and a no. But there are also degrees of yes. In the same way that you would know any person, it is relational knowledge. And in any relationship, you know the person more this year than you did last year. You've had a whole extra year of going through different situations in life and seeing them in those situations and learning things about how they respond to those situations. You have a whole extra year of that to what you had last year. In the same way with knowing Jesus. There are degrees of being shaped and changed by your relationship with him, of being brought to maturity in Christ. And if we know him, we can't escape that, that increase about it, that being continually growing in being strengthened in heart, in united in love. The more we know him, the more we will have that transformation. These, these are not yes-no things. They're yes and increasing things. And that's something to keep in our minds when we think of making Christ known. Whether we are struggling to find the internal resources to proclaim Jesus rather than just claiming him. Or whether we're going through struggles or suffering ourselves and just struggling to see Jesus as Lord, even though we trust that he is. To keep in mind that we are also still living in that gap between Christ overall and Christ known to all. We know Jesus truly, but not yet fully. He is Lord of all now, but we don't yet fully see him revealed as Lord of all now. We have Christ in us now, but the glory the shining out reality of that in its mature form is still at the hope stage. It's certain, but it's not yet seen. We have foretastes, we have true knowledge, but there is always more to know. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed what was hidden, that you have made Christ known to us. You've made him known in his glory as our Savior. Come 
to die on a cross in our place for our sins. We thank you for those who made up the lack and proclaimed Christ to us. We thank you for each person that you have commissioned in this way and who has carried out that commission in weakness but in your strength. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us to follow them in that. That as we know Christ more, we would proclaim Christ more. Lord, give us that boldness. Give us that confidence, even that joy that we need for this. It's not something we can manufacture in our own hearts. It has to come from knowing Jesus more ourselves. And so that is our prayer today, Lord, that we know our Lord Jesus Christ more. In his name we pray. Amen.